Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bibles or smartphones or devices, you can turn with me to John chapter 6. That's where we're going to be starting this morning. Uh, that was part of our reading for this week, and we've read tremendous uh, stories. I love the New Testament because it talks so much about Jesus, and it points to Jesus, and it and tells us all about his life and his teaching. And So we've read some tremendous stories, but John chapter 6 really stood out to me. And in that chapter, if you know John chapter 6, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000 people plus, right? Back then they only counted men but uh, as the 5,000, but they were women and children as well, so there is an excess of... 10,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves and two fish, a tremendous miracle of God. Uh, in that story, we see uh, John describes Jesus walking on the water. We can read it in greater detail in the Gospel of Mark, but we see that in chapter 6 of John. Uh, and then we hear Jesus' own words about himself in John chapter 6, that he is the bread of life. And so there's some tremendous stories in John chapter 6, and maybe you're wondering which one that I'm going to highlight for us today. Actually, we're going to talk about all of them and how they connect us to the reality of who Jesus is. It's going to reveal to us some things about Jesus, how he operates and how he works. Also, it's going to reveal to us about the audience that he was speaking to in, in that time over 2,000 years ago, and it's going to speak to us today. And how many of us know we need the Word of God to speak to us today about where we're at, what we're doing, how we're living Amen. I paused there quickly to see if anybody was ready to shout. So how many of you know it's important that when we read the word of God, we can understand what it's speaking to us today. It's not an ancient text for old people a long time ago. It is for us today relevant in what God is wanting to speak. Amen. 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 All right. Now, if any time you feel led to cheer, shout, jump, feel free to do it because God is working and God is moving and God is speaking before we jump into the word today, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Lord Jesus, we come with great expectation today. We need an encounter with you, living God. We need you, Holy Spirit, to move in this place in a powerful and tangible way, Lord. We know that you're everywhere, always, at all times. But God, there are moments, Lord, that we set aside time to be with you. And in those moments, God, your spirit comes and we are allowed to feel you and the presence of the Holy Spirit to draw us deeper into the deeper things of you. And so I pray that today that would be our encounter as we look at your word, that Holy Spirit, as we sit in your presence, under the authority of your word, that God, you would draw us to deeper places with you today. Deeper places, places we may have never been before. God, that you would plunge us into the depths of who you are today. This is our prayer. This is our desire. God, let your will be done your word today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. Now, can I tell you a story about little old Josh back in the day? I know some of you love these stories. Not really. There's a story once, this is reality, this is true, true life, okay? I'm not, I'm not exaggerating what happened, what I did when I was a young, young little one. In elementary school, uh, how many of you had elementary school crushes? Anybody? Yeah. Well, there happened to be this young lady named Megan in my class who had a little crush on me, uh, and I couldn't blame her. Um, 
she had a little crush on me, but I was raised in a home that, hey, uh, you, don't have, you don't have a girlfriend at that early age. You don't have a girlfriend, in fact, until you have a job, you, have, you can drive, you can provide for her, you know. So it took a long time for me to get a girlfriend who became my wife. But I was raised in that home. I couldn't, you know, you don't, you don't have those kind of relationships. And as a parent today, I agree with that. How many parents agree, right? So, hey, you know, you don't need to be playing around with that at an early age. But, but there was something that Megan had that made her irresistible to little Josh. And, and what she had was a mother who brought her fast food and personal-sized personal pizzas from Round Table every week. <laughs> and the best way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And so, Megan, let it be known that she had a crush on me, and I thought, I have an idea. Perhaps if I show her some attention and some affection, I also can get a personal-sized pizza <laughs> from Round Table during the week. And these things began to happen. It's true. The first time I thought I might be in love. <laughs> then McDonald's the next week, Taco Bell the next, and I thought, I'm really in love. But eventually, as time continued and weeks progressed into months, her mom might have caught on onto what I was doing and decided to let the well run dry on the personal-sized pizzas and the fast food. And sadly, in those moments, as uh, those things began to stop, so too did my affection. And very quickly, I lost interest and went and played tetherball with somebody else. <laughs> this is true. It's a true story. And maybe you're thinking, young Josh, he's horrible for doing that. Maybe you're thinking, I would never have done that. You are a true friend and a compassionate little child. But for me, I was thinking about my stomach. And uh, although you think that maybe perhaps you would never do that, sadly, it is a human condition that all of us have in one type or another to seek for our own what we desire first before we think of the other. And I'm going to reveal that to you as we look at Scripture. Do you know that just as I treated little Megan uh, as if I had true feelings for her so that I could get pizzas and fast food, the people in Jesus' time did the same thing to Jesus? Did you know that? If you don't believe me, turn with me again to John chapter 6. And at the beginning of this chapter, it says there's a large crowd that had gathered to hear Jesus' words. And he had been teaching them now, if we look at the Gospel of Mark, over three days, and they had gone without food for three days, and they were hungry, and Jesus had compassion on them. And in his compassion, he turns to his disciples and said, hey, how are we going to feed all of these people? And he turns to Philip, who's very rational, and thinks, well, he begins to count, it's going to cost us a lot of money, and it's going to cost us a lot. We don't even have the ability to buy that much bread with that, and even if we had the money, there's no one who's made that much bread around the area to feed all these people. And Jesus, having compassion on the people, decides, they say, hey, there's this little boy who's got five loaves and two fish. Let's see what God can do. Maybe, I don't know, I don't think, what could God do with such and something so small? And Jesus takes it, blesses it, and feeds over 10,000 people, 5,000 men plus 
women and children in that setting. And a miracle breaks out. The miraculous happens. And can I just say something to you? Uh, miracles break out because of the compassion of Jesus on people. Some of you are, are, are needing a miracle of God, and God's compassion will meet you in that place. Do you believe that? And, and the miracle happened in, in, in proximity to the people who were wanting to hear Jesus' words. And so they reached out to Jesus, they went to hear Jesus, and Jesus, as they draw close to Jesus and want to learn from him and hear what he has to say, he has compassion on their need and meets their need of physical hunger. This is what happens in the beginning of John chapter 6, a tremendous miracle that met a physical need of hunger that happened and began with compassion. But sadly... Their attention shifted from wanting to hear the words of Jesus and what he was teaching to what he could provide for us in the ongoing months and moments. Instead of saying, we want more of this Jesus who is a teacher and who is feeding us something spiritual, they began to say, hey, he fed us physically. What can we do to make sure that he continues to do that? And in verse 14, he says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, a sign is something that points to Jesus being the Son of God. As they had seen a sign, they said, this is indeed the prophet who had come into the world. And Jesus, verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew, say withdrew, again to the mountain by himself. See, Jesus had compassion for the people to meet their physical needs. And it drew them to him even closer, but not because of who he was, but because of what he could do for them. And sadly, even today, there are people who follow Jesus not because of who he is, but what he can do for them. They want Jesus to be their king, not because he is the king, but because there are blessings that flow from the throne. And people are pursuing Jesus and wanting to make him king by force, not because he is the son of God, but because they recognize that there are blessings that come from being close to the king. Often the first way that people open their hearts to hear Jesus is through prayer and the meeting of physical needs. But not often are people pursuing Jesus for spiritual fulfillment right off the bat. Think about it. People are never going to be offended if you offer to pray for them, if they have a sick loved one, or if they have financial issues, or if there's something going on at work. Most people are willing for you to pray for them, and that is a physical, temporal thing that they're experiencing right now, here and now. Most people are not going to be offended by that. Most people are wanting that. Most people are aware of their physical need well before they're aware of their spiritual need. And so people are willing to understand Jesus in that way, and Jesus having compassion desires to meet our physical needs, but he doesn't want it just to end there. Jesus does not pour out his miraculous signs and wonders on us just so that we can say, wow, I'm living in a time of signs and wonders. Jesus doesn't pour out his blessing on us just so that we can be like, wow, I'm blessed by God because I know him and he, he knows me. 
Jesus blesses us, he says, with physical need so that it would draw us closer to understand our desire for our spiritual need. Let me ask some of you who are followers of Jesus as you reflect this morning, why do you follow Jesus? Immediately, if your response is because, he, because of his blessing, because of his comfort, because of his joy, because of his peace, those are all benefits of knowing him, but it should not be the reasons we follow him. And sadly, in the church, it's been taught you pursue Jesus because of what he can give you more than you pursue Jesus because of who he is. I was in a gathering once and I heard a speaker say, I pursue the face of God. I desire, I long to see God's face. Why? Because that's where his mouth is and that's where his blessings come from. And I thought, are you insane? Are you crazy? That's, that's like me saying, I long, for, I long for my wife. I want to see my wife's face because that's where her mouth is. That's where she gives me kisses. That, that's how obscene and insane that sounds. And yet there are people who are living that way. I want to be friends with you because of what you can give to me. I want to be close to you because you're, you're well-known or you're wealthy or you're famous. And, and maybe that will rub off on me if I'm just close to you. And Jesus is challenging some of us today, asking, why are you truly following me? Is it because you love me or because you love the things I give to you? See, there are some of us who want to make Jesus king because we long for his blessing. But what does Jesus do with that kind of kingship in our lives? It tells us in this story, he withdraws from it. See, Jesus will draw you with his compassion and with his grace and his mercy. But if you fall in love with those things alone, eventually over time, Jesus will withdraw from you because you're not pursuing him because of who he is. And some of us who've encountered the goodness of God and yet now he feels distance, perhaps we need to ask ourselves, what am I seeking Jesus for in the first place? Jesus is saying, do you love me for me or do you love me for what you get from me? Jesus is wanting us to draw closer. He wants to meet your physical need because he's a compassionate, caring, and good God. But yet he doesn't want it to end there. It is to draw you somewhere closer. For some, we've experienced the compassion of Jesus in that he, perhaps through the church or through others that follow him, have met our physical need, but he wants us to go deeper. My first point this morning, if you're taking notes, is that there are some who follow just to get from God. Some follow just to get from God. What can God give me? What can God do for me? As if he's a genie in the bottle, right? And yet God would challenge us to say, is that all I am to you? Your next paycheck, your, your next meal, or am I something greater the Bible tells us he withdraws from that kind of scene to the mountaintop. And in, as John continues, it says that he tells us the story. Right after that fact, after he feeds the people with loaves and fish, he withdraws and then he comes down. His disciples are making their way across the sea and then he, goes, he begins to walk on the water. And as I was studying this, I didn't read this in any commentary, so maybe it's not 
uh, as accurate, but it made me think as Jesus is walking, because right after the fact he crosses over is when he tells us the story that he's the bread of life, and he had just fed 5,000 with, with only five loaves of, of bread. And he walks across the water, and in my mind, immediately, I thought of Ecclesiastes 11.1, where it says, cast your bread upon the water, and it will shortly return unto you. And that story, that, that phrase there in Ecclesiastes is a word about trust. Cast your care, not your care, cast your bread. It's talking about, um, in that setting, when people had to trade wares, they'd have to trade their grain and stuff with other nations. They would have to put it on a boat, and it took a long time for the boat to get there, for the people to receive it, and then for them to return funds for those goods. And it was about trust. Trust that when you sow into something, God will cause it to return to you with great, with great reward. And it made me think about the people who had seen the miraculous and desired for more of the miraculous, but they didn't trust that Jesus would actually return to them the bread of life upon the waters, so they went to seek after him again to demand more from him than when he was ready to give them. It's just an interesting idea in my mind that Jesus, the bread of life, who does perform miracles in our lives, and there are sometimes we go through a span where he, we don't feel him, or we don't experience him, where we're not seeing the miraculous, we're not seeing our prayers answered, and I, that reminds me, perhaps Jesus is out on the water, and he's been cast out from there, but he's going to be coming back to you with a reward if you'll be patient and trust him. Just an idea. But he continues in John chapter 6, Verse 25, see the people recognized that Jesus was not with his disciples. They saw his boat leave, but they didn't see Jesus leave. And then all of a sudden they're on the other side. They get in other boats and they go to the other side of the sea. And in verse 25 it says, when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, signs again demonstrating that he is the son of God, signs and wonders, signs pointing to the fact that he uh, is the Messiah. He says, you're not seeking me because you think I'm the Messiah, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're not seeking me because of who I am. You're seeking me because of what I've done. And, and I can't really blame them in this situation because often, not like today, Back then, they didn't eat till they were filled because food was scarce and they didn't have the ability to just sit there and fill themselves until they were gorged full like, you know, when we do uh, on Thanksgiving and or every day. We, they didn't have that kind of luxury or privilege to be able to eat to their fill. And so it was understandable. I have never experienced this before. I want to experience again. And they start to go after him. And it's understandable, but Jesus says it's not acceptable. Because you're pursuing me not for who I am, but for what I've done. So in verse 27, it says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. In other words, don't seek from me things that will still perish. But seek for me things that will lead to eternal life, which I will give to you. Myself, this is what Jesus is saying. Don't pursue things, don't, don't run to me just for things that are only temporal in this life when I have something greater for you that will last for eternity, is what he's saying here to the people. 
What's a good, what's a good illustration for that? We believe in the miraculous and we believe that God heals and wants to heal. But if all of a sudden all we do is chase after one miracle to the next or one healing to the next or one prophetic word to the next, Jesus says those things are temporal. They are only here for this moment. And if you continue to pursue after me just for these things, they're going to run out over time. What Your body can be healed, but eventually you will die. And that healing is only temporary until you re receive your eternal reward and then you're walking in total health and healing for all eternity. Jesus is saying, I want to meet your need, but if that's all you're going to pursue me for is just to meet the physical need that you have right now, you're missing it because I want to give you something eternal. Don't work for the food that perishes now, but work for the food that has eternal life that I want to give you. So then they respond. And often we respond the same way. Verse 28 says, and they said to him, what, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So I want to I uh, address something very plainly that I see here in Scripture. Jesus is confronting the very real and false gospel that is all around us every day, the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement. These messages essentially boil down to following Jesus for the blessing that he gives right now. If you do the right things, if you pray the right, right way, if you believe the right way, and you do things in the right order, you'll be blessed. And Jesus is saying, you're pursuing me for all the wrong reasons. That's not what I desire for you to do. Jesus clearly says, don't work for the things that perish, but receive the gift of eternal life that comes from the Son of Man. He tells them, you're seeking me for all the wrong reasons. And what's their response? What work should we be doing? What's interesting here, and we miss it in translation, is that the same word that Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, they respond with, what work should we be doing? He's saying, don't, don't work for it. Okay, tell us how to work for it, is what the response is to Jesus. Jesus says, you're trying to work all of these things out on your own so that I will bless you. Don't do it that way. Okay, tell us how many times we got to pray and how many things that we got to do and how many chants and how many mantras, how much scripture do I need to read every day so that I get your blessing. Jesus says, nope, you're missing it. And yet there are so many people who think they have to get the attention of God by jumping through the religious hoops. And if you don't have the blessing of God, you've not jumped through enough religious hoops. Jesus says, don't work for it. You can't earn this. You're working for something that's going to perish. I want to bless you with something that is eternal. But it's not something you're going to earn. It's something that I give to you. All you have to do is receive. Jesus is saying, you're working for the wrong things, and they're saying, tell us how to work. My second point this morning is religion says, do more to get what you want. Jesus says, you need to trust more in what I've done. Religion says, do more, do more, do more, do more, and you'll earn it. Do more, and you'll get his attention. Do more, and you'll get his love. Do more, and you'll be a better person. Do more, and God will bless you. And Jesus says, nope, that's not it. Trust in what I've already done, and in moments where you think you got to do more, stop and trust more. That is a controversial word for us as Americans who think 
all I have to do, I just need to work my way out of it. I need to work harder. I need to do things better. I just got to focus more. And we take that work ethic, what I think is a great ethic that we should have in our, in our society, and we take it and we apply it to the kingdom of God. And when things aren't going our way, we just think, I have to just anchor, I just got to anchor down, I just got to bear it, and I just got to push through, and then God will answer me. And all of a sudden, what we trust in is not Jesus and the finished work on the cross. We trust in our ability to get us through what, what is going on. Jesus says, as, as he told the people who had just experienced a, a, a tremendous miracle of being fed, you think you can earn this, and you think if you just do the right things, you'll get more blessing, you'll get more food for your stomachs, and I'm telling you, you're missing it. Then Jesus says something profound that should make all of us question what he means in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you did not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Just to, just to remind you of the scene, Jesus feeds the 5,000 people with some bread and some fish. They try to make him king, and he, withjects, he rejects that, and he withdraws from them. They track him down across the sea. He says, you're only here because you want another meal. And then he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and those who believe in me will never thirst again. And he'll never cast out those who seek him. But the people, it seems, are seeking him, but they're not. They're seeking a blessing from him, but they're not seeking him. He is contrasting the difference between us pursuing God to meet our physical need or us seeking after God to meet our spiritual need. He's saying those who seek me to fulfill their spiritual hunger, I'll meet you right there in that place. I will meet you right there in that place. And in fact, if you seek Jesus to meet a spiritual hunger or fulfillment in your heart, he tells you, I guarantee I'll never cast you off. If you, if you are pursuing me for eternal life, you know that there is only life in Jesus. He is guaranteeing us, I will never push you away. I will draw you closer. I will, I will help you. I will feed you. Those who are hungry and thirsty, I'll meet your need. But those of you who are seeking me just for another physical reward or some type of uh, temporal experience, I don't, I'm not going to stay in that place for very long. In fact, I will eventually withdraw from that. So Jesus gives us a taste of his goodness, and then he says, will you press in further or will you reject me? And we're right now, church, in a, a, a tipping point where we've seen the miraculous and we've encountered the living God and we've had him move in miraculous ways, and yet now he is saying, is that all you think I can do or will you go deeper with me? Will you go deeper but Jesus is saying, you first need to recognize your spiritual need. My third point for us this morning is we almost always see our physical need and almost never see our spiritual need. We almost always see our physical need and almost never see our spiritual need. We don't often ignore physical hunger. If you're, some of you are hungry right now, and by just saying that, you're like, oh, pastor... 
Like, I feel it. I have a physical need for hunger. I skipped breakfast. I didn't have that chorizo and egg that I really wanted. Now, we're talking about it. My mouth is watering. Your physical need is so prevalent. It's so abundant. It's so clear to you. It's always right here in front of your face. We won't go very long without meeting our physical hunger, but we'll go months, even years, starving spiritually. We'll go long spans without encountering the living God. We'll go a, a tremendous amount of time without seeking Him in prayer and trying to understand Him through the Word. We'll go a, a tremendous amount of time in spiritual hunger and we'll ignore it for time over time over time, but we will not do that with our own physical need. And what's even more interesting is that we're more willing to sacrifice some comfort to meet a greater physical need than we are to sacrifice anything to meet any type of spiritual need. Case in point, we're much more willing to get up early or stand in line if there's a promise of some type of physical reward by doing that. Uh, I'll get up super early if I know we're going to Disneyland. Come on. Physical needs being met. They're churros. They're turkey legs. They're corn dogs. All the rides. I get to see Mickey. A lot of physical rewards. I'll get up early. At the, at the crack of dawn, I'll be, I'll be ready. Kids packed, dressed, ready to go. I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of comfort, a little bit of sleep for a great physical reward. And yet, if that same opportunity was true for some type of spiritual fulfillment or spiritual reward, we're like, oh, man, the sheets are so nice and warm. If I were to say, uh, this week, 5.30 in the morning, the first 20 people here, I'm giving, I'm giving $1,000. Come on. We would say, glory, hallelujah, I'm getting up, I'm prepared, 4.30, I'm already dressed, I'm heading out the door, I'm in line, ready to go, because there's something there for me I can grab onto. Some of you are already thinking, I know what physical needs I can meet with that $1,000. And yet, over the last two weeks, I've been coming here, Monday through Friday, 5.30 to 6.30 a.m., praying, seeking God's face, and there's only been a couple people that have joined me. Now, perhaps that's my fault because I didn't explain it enough, I didn't announce it enough, I didn't make it sound perhaps exciting enough. But I think it's something different. If I was sincere and just said, look, there, I only have to say it once. Come tomorrow morning, 5.30, I'm giving $1,000, everybody walk through the door. I have to say it once. And you're like, is this guy serious? We'll be there. Even if he's not serious, I'm going to see what happens. <laughs> the reason that is is because we see our physical needs so much greater then we see our own spiritual need. And we can think, what would I do with $1,000? I know this, this, and this, and this, and this. I, un I understand the physical benefit that I'll receive with that money. And often we forget about our spiritual need and what kind of currency prayer has in the spiritual world. And we don't see our own spiritual need, and we don't see how prayer is going to meet that need. And so we disconnect from the reality of what God can do if we'll seek him in the early hours. And so we've missed something tremendous in the spirit because it has become something so other that we don't experience the need right here and now.
So I want to invite everybody. Tomorrow morning, 5.30 a.m., I'll be here. This is the last week that I'm doing it. Monday through Friday, I encourage you to come. I encourage you to be hungry for God to meet a spiritual need. Because he says, those who come to me seeking to be fed spiritually, I'll feed you. And in no way will I cast you off. Some of us need a spiritual awakening. Some of us need God to do a work deeply in our hearts. What are we willing to sacrifice for God to meet the spiritual need? Now, I say that not to beat anybody up. I'm just helping to understand the difference, the contrast of how we respond from physical need to spiritual. See, the only time that we'll begin to sacrifice for spiritual need is when we recognize how depleted we are. When we've hit rock bottom. We don't do that physically. If, if I haven't eaten in three hours, I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm feeling, my legs feel weak. I mean, why is this blood sugar real low? Give me a Snickers. I need it. Help me. Right? We have a quicker response. We don't wait until we're skin and bones to try to eat something. But we do that, phys we do that spiritually. Until we're completely depleted. Our life is falling apart. We don't have any resource. We're not able to connect with God anymore. We're wondering what's happened. We look in the mirror and spiritually we're skin and bones. And then we say, I got to do something. Hopefully we can recognize that God is saying, I've been here the whole time to give you food that will feed you spiritually. All you got to do is seek me for it. Jesus gives us the solution to what he's speaking about meeting our spiritual need. And it's found in verse 51 of chapter 6. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I give you, the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. See, the bread that he gives is his sacrifice on the cross. And to eat his flesh is to trust in the finished work of the cross. What does it mean to trust in the work of the cross? It means you have to receive it and internalize it. That means you have to think about it. You have to digest it. You have to consume it. You have to allow it to be the food that fuels you. There are so many people, so many Christians walking around feeling like they're not enough. And you'll continue to feel that way if you think your salvation is dependent upon your works and not upon the work of Jesus on the cross. But if you can recognize what he's done for you and what he's continuing to do through you and wants to do for you because of the work he's done on the cross for you, then you have the fuel that you need to continue to pursue and to live this life of righteousness and holiness and purity as he desires to work it through you. It's the work of the cross. He's saying you have to trust in the work that I've already done, not in your own ability to get my attention. You already had my attention when I went to the cross. That's why I went to the cross. Jesus is speaking so metaphorically here, and, and he's speaking to the original audience who understands the sacrificial system. He's talking to Jewish leaders, and he's telling them, you're going to have to, uh, I'm the bread of life, and if you eat me, if you consume this bread of life that is my flesh, then you'll, you'll have salvation, you'll have eternity with me. He's pointing to the sacrificial system of the day when they would slaughter lambs and they would give the portion to the priest and they would eat it. They would boil it and eat that. They would consume it in themselves as the part of their sacrificial system. And yet they take him literally instead of metaphorically 
and they try to trap him. They say, how can he give us his flesh to eat? Trying to make Jesus sound crazy like he's some type of cannibal, like he's Hannibal Lecter. You know, eat my flesh with some fava beans. <laughs> Too far. Shouldn't have used that part. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't back down. This is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't back down from the, from the metaphor to kind of soften his speech. He doesn't say, okay, guys, look, I was just talking metaphorically. You know how the lamb, when you guys kill it, and you will eat it. He doesn't do that. He doubles down. This is what I love about Jesus. He's like, oh, you don't understand? Well, you're really not going to understand now. Because you're not pursuing me for me. You're pursuing me for what I can give you. You're all going to be confused by the end of this speech. I, I love Jesus. It's not, he, we don't do that in the church. We try to say, oh, let me just make it as plain and simple. Let me just uh, make it so easy for you. Whatever, you, whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever, however I can make you more comfortable to come to the church, whatever I have to do to make this more attractive to you, that's what I want you to do. So what, we can just fill our seats with people who don't know Jesus, but they, they, want, they want Jesus for, who, for, for what he can do for them. And Jesus says, no, nah, I, don't, I don't play that kind of game. This is what he says. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food. They're like, what? My blood is true drink. They're like, that's disgusting. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And I can just imagine some of the crowd, some of the people are puking in the back, getting the visual too much in their heads. I had a friend whose wife, you just say the word blood, she pass out. I can see that Jesus is doubling down even further. He says, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And the response to that in verse 66, we're told that a lot of his own disciples, not just the Jewish leaders, not just some of those who showed up because he fed, but those who had already been walking with him for over a year, began to be offended by his words and turn their backs on him and no longer wanted to follow him. Here's my fourth point for us today, church. And it comes from Jesus' own words. Taking Jesus in will offend you. Taking Jesus' words into your heart and to your life will cause offense in you. And if his words do not offend you, you're not taking him in. Trusting in him, trusting in his words and his commands more than our own desires will offend our flesh. Verse 63 says, he tells them the spirit is the one that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The flesh is not going to help you pursue after me. In fact, the flesh is going to try to keep you from seeking me for who I am. That's why the bed is so warm and cozy when it's time to get up for prayer. But when you have no schedule about pursuing Jesus in the morning, you can't sleep at night. Uh-oh. The flesh wants you to be comfortable, wants you to be safe, wants you to meet your own desires and your own needs. But God has come to offend your flesh. And when you take him in and you take in his word, it will offend something in you. If you're not offended yet, you will be. I think this is a word for us today. In our society, we're told to follow our flesh, follow our feelings, follow our desires. Do what feels good. If it feels right, do it. And if anybody tells you that it's wrong, they're a bigot, they're a liar, they're a hater. Don't listen to them. Get new friends. Get people who only encourage you to do, continue what you want to do. Can I tell you something? Our flesh will never offend us. You'll never be offended by your own desire. 
You'll never wake up and be like, I can't believe I feel like eating a cheeseburger right now. How disgusting. I am repulsed by myself. No, your flesh is not going to offend you. Your, your flesh is going to continue to encourage you to do what you want to do. But the Spirit of God will offend you. It will. I've experienced it. I know some of you as seasoned saints have experienced it too. You've been offended by the Word of God. You read it and say, how could it say that? Why would you say that, Lord? Why would you want me to live this way? Why would you want me to change what I feel? Why would you want me to act differently? No, it feels good to be angry when someone treats me horribly. It feels good to want revenge when someone tries to come get me. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not how you're going to do it. It's offensive. God says, no, I don't want you to live this lifestyle. I don't want you to live this way. Oh, but I love my girlfriend. I like to live with her. She likes to live with me. We have a great relationship. It helps us prepare us for marriage. God says, no, that's not how I set it up. Oh, this is offensive. How? But you don't know our situation. No, but I know the word of God. And our world continues to say, this is what reality is. This is how you're, this is how you're to live. This is what you're supposed to do. It's all okay. But the word of God is here to offend us. See, the people were not offended when Jesus fed them, but they became offensive when he says, you're going to have to feed on me. At any moment, we become offended by the word of God. It's the flesh that's taken offense, not your spirit. And there are many, many today that are being offended by the word of God and they're leaving the church in droves because they can't believe that the word would say that. Or they demand that the word of God change to make it easier on them. I'm not comfortable with this. And if the church continues to say that that's the way it's going to be, then I'll go start my own church. Or I'll go do my own thing. Or I'll go find a church that says it's okay. And God says that's not how it works. You're eating the wrong thing. You're dining on the wrong thing. You're pursuing the wrong thing. See, all of us must trust in the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. When he says... The food that my flesh that I give, or the food that I give to the world is my flesh. He's talking about the cross, and he's saying if you're going to put your trust in the sacrifice that I made on the cross, that means you have to come to the cross, and when we come to the cross, that means we have to die to ourselves as well. When we come to the cross, that's we come to the foot of the cross, we are saying, God, I die with you so that I can live with you. That means you have to sacrifice your flesh at the foot of the cross. It's uncomfortable. It's not a happy thing sometimes, but there is great joy that comes in the morning after recognizing the true food that's found in Jesus. So then Jesus, he turns to his 12, and he asks in verse 67, do you want to go away as well? Are you also offended by this? Are you going to walk away from me because you've encountered an aspect of what I require and you're not willing to pay it? And he asks us that same question today, and he'll ask you. Are you willing to submit to my word as the authority in your life? Or are you saying that's too far? I'm not willing to pay that price. I'm not willing to sacrifice that desire. My prayer is that we will respond the way Peter did in verse 68. He answered, Lord... Where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. This has been my prayer. When I've hit hard moments in my life, 
when I didn't feel like I was getting the answer I desired. But at the end of the day, I asked myself the same question. If not Jesus, then where will I go? He has eternal life. And maybe I'm not comfortable with what I'm experiencing in this moment. And maybe my, my desires and my wants or even my own physical needs are not being met the, the way I wish they would. But where am I going to go? Why would I turn my back on the eternal life just because I'm not comfortable in this moment? I pray that we all would respond that same way. I, I don't know why I, I'm having these, these desires or this experience. Or uh, I, I had prayed for God to move like this way before, and I, I saw his compassion, and he reached out. But then all I thought was, that's all he's going to give me, so that's all I pursued him for. And then now he's withdrawn from me, and now I'm not comfortable anymore. Now he's saying, come closer, draw deeper, pursue harder after me. I want to take you to deeper places. And now I have to ask myself, is that really where I want to go? And yet we have to ask ourselves, where else will we go? He has the words of eternal life. And then he says, verse 69, we have believed and we have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Believing in Jesus is one thing, but certainly knowing who he is on a deeper level is another. And he today is calling us into a deeper revelation of who he is. He wants you to know that you know that you know that he's the Holy One of God. As we come to a close this morning, see, some follow just to get from God, but Jesus doesn't want his compassion on your physical need just to be something that you stop there. And don't pursue him any further for. He wants to meet your spiritual need as well. God is compassionate and he will meet your physical need. We believe in physical healing, signs and wonders and miracles. We believe it, but we don't pursue him for those things alone. We'll ask him when a need arises, but ultimately we have to pursue him for our spiritual need first. Because that's truly what he's come to give us. See, religion tells us to do more, to get what we want, but Jesus says trust more in what he's already done. See, some of us have been jumping around and jumping through hoops trying to get God's attention or to get him to give us what we want, but that's not what God has come for. Some of us have been trapped in the, in the race of trying to be better to make God do what we want, but that doesn't work. And I believe that he wants to speak to us today about our spiritual need more than our physical wants. To do that, we have to have really some inflection. We have to reflect on our own spiritual need and asking the Lord, God, where have I been missing you? Where have I been pursuing you only when I want something from you and not because of who you are? God, surely there is a deeper place in you that I have not encountered, that I have not experienced, and yet I sent you right now are calling me to a deeper place with you. God wants to meet your deeper physical need this morning. See, we most always are, 
see our physical need and almost never recognize our spiritual one. But God is wanting us to look beyond the physical so that we would ask ourselves, what is the state of my spirit? What is the state of my soul today? What do I need God to do on the inside of me today that he wants to heal, that he wants to restore, that he wants to build up, that he wants to encourage, that he wants to draw out? What is it that God wants to do in you today? There is something, every single person, God wants to do something deep in your heart today. Don't think I'm just talking to the regulars or talking to the people who just snuck in or something. No, he's talking to every single person. God is talking to your heart today. I'm very sincere. God is talking to every single one of us today, saying there's something deep in you that I want to draw. I want you to pursue me for the spiritual need. And some of us, our physical needs are very real. They're very right in front of our face. But are we willing to push pause for just a moment to say, God, is there something even deeper? Is there something even deeper that you need to do in my heart before any kind of physical need is met? Because I believe God wants to do that. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting